Welcome to the History of the Batman with London, brought to you by Meltdown Comics and Collectibles in Hollywood, California. This is where we relive the defining moments of one of the most iconic figures in comic art and literature, the Batman. My name is Adam Silverstein, and as always, I'm here with London. We also are being produced today by Mason Booker and, of course, Engineered. And we are on our 12th episode. So thank you to the listeners for your continued support. We have a very special episode planned today, and that is 75 years of the Boy Wonder Robin. Is that right, Is that right, London? Is that what we're doing today? Yep. We're talking about the identity of Robin and the different characters that have taken up the mantle and exploring why he's one of the most iconic figures alongside Batman over the past 75 years. He is pretty iconic. Uh, Where did that name come from, first of all? Well, Jerry Robinson and Bill Finger and Bob Kane all came together and they wanted to create someone to go alongside Batman. And there have been different sources for Robin. Some say it was from the actual bird kind of going alongside the bat and the bird, or it was a... It was based off of Robin Hood. Both of those seemingly were influences for Robin's costume and Dick Grayson's creation, which more most creators still use those today. So they pretty sta- pretty much stands true over the past seventy five years that it's either Robin Hood or the actual bird. <laughs> mm. And so Robin, the boy wonder, where'd that name come from, or when did it start? I mean, it, it was- started. In Dick Grayson's debut in Detective Comics 38 in April of 1940, he bursts through the page and it says the the sensational find of 1940 and they call him Robin the Boy Wonder. And even in his introduction when we have the backstory, he is a very interesting character and a very spectacular find. And the way that he's projected and so energetic and the bright colors, the red and the yellow and the green, it's so different from what people were experiencing reading Batman comics. In the first year, Batman came out in 1939. And for his whole first year, when he was alone and he was just the mass vigilante of Gotham, it was very bleak and grim and gritty. And I think that Bob Kane and the creators wanted to brighten up that side of Batman and wanted to appeal to a younger audience. And having the boy wonder within his name automatically draws in a younger crowd. And I think it was just part of the whole initial appeal to have Batman more kid-friendly in a sense than just a kind of dark detective type. So... Was there a premise or a thought behind introducing the Boy Wonder, Robin? I think you kind of alluded to that. It was something that not necessarily was story-driven, but something bigger than that. Right. It definitely was a response to the actual comic books that were being sold. Batman, of course, was popular even within the first year. They wanted to give him his own book, which came out right after Robin Dick Grayson's debut in Batman number one in spring of 1940. And I think although the stories were very pulp and dark and detective oriented and crime dramas, that part didn't sell well with the younger crowd. So Robin, I think, was created to drive up the sales of comic books, but also within DC's Batman universe give a good balance of bright and dark in day and night and balance that character out. I think introducing Robin, Dick Grayson, or any person that's Robin alongside Batman really shows his character even more. And we learn more about Batman and his more human side, having a type of care and protection towards this person, someone else. And so I think an inside and outside reasons led to the creation of Robin by the creators. Right. And do you think also, or was there ever any thought 
that you are aware of that Robin was created to give a, I guess, first person experience to a young boy reader? Like you get to hang out with Batman. You're the boy wonder. Is that definitely Robin became this type of inspiration for younger readers that they can do the incredible things that Robin does. And it definitely was something that connected Robin to whoever was reading it because the younger readers, if they read Batman, they probably thought, wow, he's incredible, but I can never do the things he does. But if you're the same age as Robin, if you're a young teenager, you may find yourself relating more. And comics today do that as well. They make characters and stories where you can relate to the hero and hopefully imagine yourself as doing good or being that do-gooder or helping your community as Robin was kind of created as. So definitely Robin was someone that the younger readers could relate to. Mm. And so when Robin, Robin was obviously, like you said, introduced really early in the Batman storyline. Right. When, when they, well, I guess my question is this, is Robin been a part of Batman ever since that, when he was first introduced or was there any time he ever took off? Robin, he, within the first five or six years, he already had a solo book, which came out in 1947, and it was Star Spangled Comics. And first of all, Robin was technically the first comic book sidekick that we ever saw. So that alone makes his character iconic because it spawned different sidekicks, such as Kid Flash for The Flash and Marvel's Bucky for Captain America. And that And Robin being creative kind of created an era of the young sidekick, the character that readers can relate to. And even after five or six years within comics, he was so popular that while he was still in Batman and Detective Comics publications, he went to Star Spangled Comics and he even had his own rogues gallery and he developed his own identity for someone who was young in the comics and yet was so popular that he was able to be independent so early on. And I think that calls to his character how strong of a character he was. Now, I don't know if you've done the research or you figured it out, but I've always kind of heard on the peripheral that some people were weirded out by the fact that You've got Batman, who's a man and a playboy, and he's hanging out with a little boy. Right. And, <laughs> and there's always this kind of joke, maybe undercurrent. You know, everyone kind of makes fun of that. And they are sometimes they just say it's awkward and sometimes they say it's downright just disgusting and sexual. So, I mean, how, how did how did D.C.? Or first of all, am I right in in being aware of that? Is- oh, no, you are definitely correct. People even today still think that Batman and Robin have a very weird dynamic. They don't see the young ward or the father-son relationship that I personally have experienced with reading the comics and seeing the different media. They see something more inappropriate or sexualized, and that definitely was the height of controversy in the 1950s. But in his initial debut when in Detective Comics 38, they established his backstory and how it linked to Bruce Wayne, Batman, and why he brought him in as his sidekick. I think that's where I saw that, okay, this isn't something that is supposed to be seen as wrong or inappropriate. This is a kind of father-son dynamic. This is something that they're relatable to because, of course, in Dick Grayson's origin, he is part of a family circus with Haley Brothers Circus, and he performs with his mother and father, John and Mary, and because the owner of the circus 
Haley doesn't cooperate with the mob boss uh, Zuko, he has John and Mary killed. And so that night when Bruce Wayne goes to the circus to play up his playboy persona where, and it's interesting because he goes to show that he's Bruce Wayne, he's the eligible bachelor and all of that. He goes to actually check out the acrobats because he knows that they're the best in the city and he wants to see if he can learn something from them to put in his own Batman agenda. So when he sees that his that Dick sees his parents killed in front of his eyes, it flashes back to him seeing Thomas and Martha Wayne, his parents gunned down in front of his eyes. So they already make that connection between the two that lasts throughout the 75 years that makes Bruce want to take care of Dick, not in, I think, a weird way, but just as seeing a young boy who's orphaned and needs someone to guide him and to help him and to not have him lead a bad life because of this tragic accident. He comes and he says that in order, I think he wants him to be his ward. He wants him to be his psychic and, and to help him fight crime, to not have him dwell so much on the tragic accident and to turn bad because Bruce, when he was young, he had Alfred after the accident and when the mugger shot him, but he didn't have all of the right tools to stop him from being somewhat vengeful to growing up in a dark way. Whereas Dick, when he lives with Bruce and he's training to be Robin and he's the dynamic duo, he has... Batman to support him and he also has Alfred who helps him stay kid-like to help him stay bright and happy and that's really needed in Batman because even though I think a lot of people don't like Robin and they think Batman can stand on his own which he can it's just a good balance to have and it makes the stories not so just solemn right So a lot of people see the Batman and Robin scenario kind of oddly. I agree. It it sounds like that it just uh, being misinformed. Maybe they don't know the whole backstory about why they is. They just see a guy in tights with another young boy in tights and say, oh, that's so weird. But when you think about why he brought him in. Definitely. It's all about context. Right. And (laughs) and, and let me ask you this, and I'm sure we'll get into the other Robins, but is that pretty much what Batman did with the other Robins as well? Is they all, there was sort of a tragic story that he- For most of them, yes. There was a tragic story. There were a few exceptions, but most of the time tragedy followed. (laughs) Did, Did DC ever have to address this and explain to- People either complaining or people who are weirded out and were vocal about it. Did DC ever have to explain and say, look, you got to read the book. You got to understand the context. It's not just what it looks like. I think more when there was a height of controversy in the 50s um, when they were deemed as being and as having a homosexual relationship, it DC had to address it. But it was more that that was a theory and it was controversial, but it went away. And that's why the Comics Code Authority came in and they had to make stories more tame and make it so it was available to everyone and kid friendly. But it's interesting if you watch the 1960s live action show with Adam West and Burt War, a lot of people draw that kind of weird relationship from the series because you don't really have that context that you have with the Batman and Detective Comics where now and then we're always reminded that this is why Batman came to be and this is why Robin came to be. DC had to be vocal somewhat, but most of the time it was just fans' interpretation and right. everyone has an opinion, so they can't address every opinion. It really, <laughs> it really is crazy. I mean, we've talked about it over the last several episodes, just how much of an influence that Batman 66 live action show actually had. Yes. I mean, it just <laughs> seems to have powered through the psyche of the world and, you know, we get a lot of our questions or thoughts or theories on Batman based on that 
that show. Right. And that show is really important because it introduced a huge audience to these characters, to the heroes and the rogues and just the whole mythos when a lot of those people never picked up a comic. So for a lot of people, and particularly myself, that show was the first time I ever saw Batman. So definitely it's influential and it's just as iconic and it made Robin more iconic to the world than he already was becoming within the comic books. Yeah, it is just a crazy how that I mean, I and I think back to even my own experience with Batman and I just remember how influential that show really was on everything. Right. <laughs> and now, like you said, your favorite one of your favorite comics is the Batman 66. Yes, that's a great series. <laughs> So Robin, through the years, has been influential in a number of ways. Is there a particular way you want to talk about or reflect on now? Well, I was just going to literally go through the history in a chronological sense and talk about each of the Robins that have, the characters that have taken up the mantle and how they each played a vital role within Batman's life and how each Robin in their own way is unique from the other, which I think in the end we'll see that's the most important part, especially looking into the current books such as We Are Robin and how Robin can be interpreted in many different ways and yet that character still holds the same type of hope and doing the right thing in order and inspiration to a young audience. And you see that within all the different people who are Batman sidekick. So I I guess, (laughs) and also before we get there, I was just going to say one other thing. It's interesting. And I don't know if there's ever been a controversy, but you talked about the uh, homosexual, um, I guess, what the the way that people were viewing Batman and Robin, but yeah. really the issue is when you think about it, is child endangerment. I mean, you exactly. are sending a little. Bo- <laughs> I mean, when did Boy One? When did Robin start fighting crime? How old was he? He had to be well, under eighteen. Yeah, he was probably about uh, eleven, twelve. I mean, that is crazy <laughs> when you think about that. You would take a ten, eleven, twelve, even even a fifteen, sixteen year old right. kid out and have them face life or death situations. And that definitely was something that people worried about. But I think the fact that Batman was by his side, I think people were kind of were in more or less comforted with the fact that he wasn't just alone. I guess they haven't listened to your uh, mis- uh, his- a mystery of the God complex podcast. Oh, <laughs> because then they would know that this Batman like, gets oh, beat. No, <laughs> Just the whole concept of Robin, if you pick apart those factors, it's interesting to see how much this character has flourished because if you go all the fact that, oh, he's too young or he's in this danger or it's just a wrong message to send, if it really played out that way for most of the audience, I don't think Robin would have thrived as long as he has, but just I think he's just the perfect balance and the perfect foil for Batman. And that's why it's worked. And that's why it's worked over the past 75 years. And it all started with wanting to keep that Sherlock Holmes kind of dynamic and still wanting to keep Batman to his true self, to his to his dark, vigilante, detective, brooding character that was originally created, but not to have it so heavy on the dark side. You have Robin with these bright colors and smiling and happy and just, he is just the perfect balance. So we're just going to go through different people who have been Robin and the first is Dick Grayson. Well, there you go. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about Dick Grayson. Well, he debuted, as we've said earlier, in Detective Comics 38 in 1940. His origin story was told in that same comic, Batman, and as he is Robin, apprehended Boss Zuko. And from then on, he just was on every adventure with Batman. He fought the rogues that they've come across, especially in Batman number one, with the Joker and the cat, a.k.a. Catwoman. 
And he became just as popular as Batman was within the first five years of being in Batman and Detective Comics. And he would have small one-page side stories, kind of like after-school special type notes. And I think that's why he appealed so much to young kids, because they could relate to these stories, to what Robin had to say, and especially to the fact that he was the boy wonder. He wasn't an older crime fighter. And it made the audience feel like, hey, I can be Robin too. And like I said, he even spun off to his own solo comics for about 50 issues or so in 1947 with Star Spangled Comics. And then he just kept being uh, Batman. I don't know what that is. <laughs> there you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but, right, Dick Grayson, he was Batman's sidekick, and his origin was in Detective Comics 38, and that origin has been retold many times over in modern comics in Marv Wolfman's Year 3 in 1989 and Batman 438 to... Legends of the Dark Knight in 1997, issue 100, to even Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's Batman Dark Victory. That origin story is important because it links to Batman, and I think that's why they work and they're a balance because they understand one another. And you see that Batman kind of softens when Robin comes into the picture, not just within the stories, but just on the covers and just looking at the art itself, you see Batman smiling. And today we joke that you never see any other emotion from Batman than just a solemn scowl. But within these stories, Batman was a little bit more joyful. And in in particular story in Batman number five from 1941, he sees Robin and he finds him and he thinks that he's dead. And he becomes so angry and has so much sorrow and begins to cry and holds him in his arms and thinks that the boy wonders dead. And for the first time, you really see Batman hurting and you see his human side come out and you see that connection that Batman cares about this person. He isn't just someone running around with them fighting crime. He's Robin started the Batman family. The Batman family today is huge. There's so many different people involved. But the debut of Robin of Dick Grayson started the Batman family, and then we get to know Alfred, and then we get to know all these different characters. But Robin, Dick Grayson, was the definite foil for Batman, and the same for the 40s and the 50s, and then the 60s came, and Robin became such a strong character that he became more independent and more of a leader when... And he also had to grow up, right? Right. And that growth was kind of stunted. (laughs) We don't really see him grow up until the late 60s. But before then, especially when the Justice League was formed and the Brave and the Bold, number 28, when they all come together in the Brave and the Bold, 54 we see the Teen Titans come for the first time. What year was the Teen Titans? The Teen Titans, that was in, uh, I think, 63. Okay. And you see Robin as the leader, and you see Aqualad, and you see Kid Flash, and you see Wonder Girl, and they all are a miniature version of Justice League because that became so popular that it spun out from The Brave and the Bold and then Justice League had its own publication. And the same thing happened with Teen Titans. Teen Titans spun out into its own publication and went on for 53 issues. And within that time period, the Batman live-action 66 show happened, and Burt Ward was Robin slash Dick Grayson, and that just made Robin even more popular. Not only was he a leader of a whole young heroes team within DC Comics, but on TV, you see that same persona, that same character, and that same hero on live-action, and it reaches out to a huge audience and makes... Robin and Batman, a pop culture icon. So the 60s were definitely a growing point for Robin, not just in age, but just in the character and 
parting ways with Batman, but still, he's still in Batman at Detective Comics, and he's still his loyal sidekick. So we see an expansion of the Robin character in different media in that era. So Robin is now growing up. He's become a teen titan. And I mean, Dick Grayson stayed Robin for a while. Oh, yeah. He... He grew up, and in 1969, I believe, he goes off to university. He goes to the fictional Hudson University. That's a little bit outside of Gotham. But he doesn't become, well, he grows up, and he's in a new, the a different um, interpretation of the New Teen Titans, which happens in 1980. It's Marv Wolfman and George Perez and they in DC Comics Presents number 26, they introduce all of these young heroes and Robin is the leader, just like he was in the the early 60s first interpretation. And he grows up in those comics and he starts to part ways even more with Batman, not because he's out for un- to university, so he's not around. He doesn't do uh, he doesn't solve as many crimes with Batman. He is his own independent leader. So you don't see, then you see him step away from the Robin costume because at, once you're in your, once you're 1920, those tights don't really seem that appealing anymore. And he has a whole new persona created in, and it's introduced in the Tales of the Teen Titans number 44 from 1984. And he is Nightwing. And he gives up the Robin suit. But within comics, five months before, we already were introduced to a new Robin simultaneously. And the second Robin is Jason Todd. Okay. So real quick, before we get to Jason Todd. So Dick Grayson decides that he's going to become Nightwing at what is the reason why he, wa- other than the tights, what was the reason why he wanted to stop being Robin? Was it that he didn't want to work with Batman as much anymore? He just had developed his own identity? I mean, what are some of these reasons for the transition? Well, definitely it was because he was growing up. It was his age. He felt that he could, he was already leading a whole team. And although he necessarily didn't have any problems pre-crisis with Batman before not being Robin anymore, he wanted to be his own person. He wanted to have his own identity separate from Batman. And a lot of the Teen Titans felt the same way with their mentors. They wanted to have their own identity. They wanted to be independent and they wanted to save the city their own way. And the, the persona of Nightwing came and that was a signal to everyone around him that he was his own hero and he didn't need Batman, but he didn't need Batman in a way that was confrontational or mean or they had bad, they had a bad breakup or anything like that. It was literally just, I'm growing up and I want to be independent. And I think that's one of the reasons why Robin is so popular today is because he can still be side by side with Batman and fit perfectly. But by himself, he can hold a whole publication, a whole story just fine. He doesn't need someone by his side. He's good for both. Right. Do you think that is a was that also a company decision or was that just the natural story progression? I think it was a company decision. I think that they wanted to bring in a new person for Robin. I think the DC editor at the time was Lynn Wein, and he wanted to have a different Robin, but he didn't want the character to necessarily be totally different. And a lot of different creators had different opinions about that, which we'll get into. But I think it was just a company decision to introduce a new character and to bring in a new Robin and to kind of shake things up a little bit. Right. And Dick Grayson ultimately at certain points in history, and I don't know if it's more than once, but he actually became Batman. Right. He had to take up the mantle of Batman after the Nightfall saga when Batman's back was broken by Bane. And and then... More that people know later in 2008, 2009, after Final Crisis and Batman R.I.P., when Batman or Bruce Wayne is considered dead, 
Dick Grayson takes up the mantle as Batman, and we'll talk about later. Robin is his um, is Bruce Wayne's biological son, Damian Wayne. It is how different, and I know we want to get to Robin, the <laughs> character, but how different a Batman is Dick Grayson from Bruce Wayne? He is much more calm. I think he is much more level headed. And not so, but what's interesting is that while he's wearing the cape and the cowl throughout that arc in the Batman and Robin arc, the Grant Morrison 2009 to 2011 stories, he he kind of knows why Bruce acts the way he does and feels the way he does. He kind of feels that menacing power and vibe that he has, but he doesn't let himself get there because he says, I'm not Bruce. I'm Grayson, I'm myself, and I'm not this hard, scary guy. It, their personalities are different, but he knows that he has to be Batman. And so he struggles with his own dual identity issues of, I want to still be Dick Grayson, but then I have to be Batman, but then I'm turning kind of into a Bruce Wayne character. And seeing him juggle with that in that series is interesting as well. But they're definitely two different Batman. Okay. <laughs> And and where is Dick Grayson now in the comics? What is he doing? He is a type of CIA agent guy. He's he's in his own comic Grayson, which is actually really good. Tim Seeley does it, and I like it. I think it's interesting, especially if you're a Dick Grayson fan. Dick Grayson is my favorite Robin, and my favorite. And I love Nightwing, and he's one of my favorite characters. So following him even today, it's still pretty interesting. But no, we won't see. Dick being Robin, I don't think anytime soon. <laughs> or or Nightwing? Or or Nightwing. He was earlier when the New 52 relaunched, but I think now he's a whole new different persona. So he's not even wearing tights right now? No. <laughs> wow. Not, but I like it. Oh, I, no, I think it's good. I mean, listen, it, it, it sounds like the man has progressed probably more than anyone in this whole entire Batman family. I mean... He starts off as Robin. He becomes Nightwing. He eventually becomes Batman. He goes back to being Nightwing. And then he's like, you know what? I can do fight crime a different way. Exactly. Is there another Nightwing? No, not at the okay. moment. <laughs> no one's taken on that mantle. No. That would be interesting to see, though. That would be. I mean, it's. <laughs> it, I'm sure that Nightwing has his own following too and yes definitely a lot of people some people don't even know that dick grayson was robin at a time so really yeah they just think it started with nightwing so wow so what (laughs) do they think that is is that i'm sorry is there robin jason todd that's it's actually no because they see Jason Todd as Red Hood. It's, All right, it's interesting. Is it, it, there you go. Is well, then I guess we'll have to explore that too. Yeah. <laughs> is Jason Todd the next Robin after yes. Dick Grayson? He is the next Robin that we will be looking at. How'd this guy get in the mix? Well, as I said, the DC editor at the time, Lynn Wien, he wanted a new Robin, but. He made the origin story almost a carbon copy of Dick Grayson. Jason Todd debuted in Batman 357, which was in March of 1983. And for those nine issues were introduced to Jason Todd. He was he was blonde and wide-eyed and happy, and he was part of a family circus. And unfortunately, his parents were murdered by Killer Croc. And once that happened. He took on the mantle as Robin and wanted to help Batman solve this mystery and wanted to help him fight crime. And he is first seen as Robin in Batman 368 from February of 1984. So it's less than a year's time that we're we're seeing Jason Todd and we're already seeing him as Robin. And within that story, Dick Grayson passes on the mantle happily to Jason Todd feeling that he can do it justice and that he will keep the Robin character alive. That's literally what he says in the panels. He wants him to keep that spirit going. He wants he doesn't want that persona to die. So he wants another Robin to come. And I think that's kind of DC's way of saying we don't want Robin to go away because he's grown up and he's a Nightwing. We want him to thrive within DC Comics. And even though 
at the time, Jason thought that was okay that he was a new Robin. A lot of people, they didn't like the fact that he was kind of the same as Dick Grayson. And so once we get into the mid-1980s and we're in post-crisis now, which is after the events of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which which rebooted the entire DC universe, Dennis O'Neill came in and he wanted to give a better origin story. At the time, he became the DC editor and he said that Jason Todd deserves his own origin story. So they brought in writer Max Allen Collins and gave Jason Todd a reboot, which happened in Batman 408 and 409. And he is the kind of hardcore, snappy orphan thug type character that we kind of know at him today we first see jason todd stealing the tires off the batmobile that's how we're introduced to him so it's very different from the happy-go-lucky kid that we see and once that happens batman tries to get him off the street and he puts him into a boys school but then it's corrupt by ma gun and jason todd and batman come together and solve the crime and stop ma gun and batman then sees that he should be his next ward and he wants to train him as robin and that's how he's that's his post crisis origin that crisis where they reset the universe in dc world <laughs> Seems to just help them, you know, they don't write themselves out of a terrible <laughs> origin. They just reset it. Definitely. And this, in the first crisis, the big, is still to me the biggest one. We've had a couple more crises over the last few decades. But this one wiped out characters, changed everything. And it's kind of the excuse they needed to, we want to just redo this whole character. We don't, we don't like... Uh, bat hound anymore and we don't like just different characters and can just wipe him out of continuity it doesn't seem like jason todd ever got any footing i mean it started off poor because it was such a copycat origin right that really i i really can't believe that they would just make it another acrobat family <laughs> get murdered i mean that is lame and i don't and like you said it didn't sound like people responded to it as no. well and then you reset the history, you make him the thug, and I don't know why was it that he just still couldn't catch on. People, and I think people were trying to compare Dick Grayson to Jason Todd, and they're two completely different personalities. Dick Grayson was humble and loyal and kind and was Batman's right-hand Guy, whereas Jason Todd, he wanted to be Robin. He really liked the fact that he could fight crime and kick some butt and all of that. But he had an attitude and he would fight with Batman a little bit. And I think a lot of people, a lot of readers didn't like that attitude that Jason Todd had because at the time we see Robin as the sidekick. He is the person for Batman that is his helper and Jason Todd didn't really fit that mold. He fit the mold of, I'm going to do this on my own. I want to do this by myself. And the writers didn't like him and the audience responded really badly. So they gave the opportunity. So they wanted to write Jason Todd out of comics. They didn't want him to be Robin anymore, but they had to figure out how to systematically do that without too many eyebrows raised. So I think that's how the 1988-1989 story arc Batman A Death in the Family came into play. That was published between Batman number 428 and 432, I think. And Jim Starlin and Jim and Jim Apero were the creators and they gave out a 1-900 number and Asked view asked readers to vote whether Jason Todd should die at the hands of Joker or should live, and they literally gave it to the audience to decide if they should keep Jason Todd in the comics. And by a slim margin, it seemed that Jason Todd was voted off. <laughs> and do you know how many people voted? I don't remember the exact number, but the 
the numbers were not that far off. They right. were pretty close. I, I think I'm looking online and it looks like there was about uh, 10,500 total votes. Oh, wow. <laughs> and five, and it, the, the difference was not even 100. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because they he died he was beaten with a crowbar and then left in the warehouse and he was blown up you can't really come back from that but they did create a scene where jason todd if they the people decided to let him live and what happened is jason was in a coma and as Bruce Wayne, he comes to visit him in the hospital and he's feeling guilty that he let this happen. And then Dick Grayson comes and says, I thought you might need a little bit of comfort, a little bit of help. Um, and he's like, maybe you need help finding the Joker. And Bruce says, no, I'm going to do it on my own. And that's the way I want it to be. So that just signaled that even if they voted Jason Todd to stay, he wouldn't be Robin anymore. That was just the DC creative team saying that we want to take this character out of the Robin suit because he is not responding well to fans. And I think, I know it was a voting, but I think even writing him out like that, if he was in a coma and Bruce wanted to work alone for a while, maybe that could work. And then later on, they can introduce a new Robin. Maybe that would have made sense. But a lot of people were shocked at the fact that they just let Robin die because from 1940 to pretty much the late 80s, Robin was a, is, and still is a very vital part of Batman's life and just killing him off was a major deal. And especially since the audience got to decide whether or not he lived or died. That was just a, a very iconic moment in DC Comics history and kind of in comic book history to have that type of creative freedom given to the readers. So you have him essentially dying, at least for a number of years, right? Right. And then you said they did write some scenes in and he eventually gave, it gave him a, a story or a way within the story to bring him back to life. Right. He was gone for about 15 years or so. And then in Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee's story arc, Batman Hush, he came back in issue Batman number 617. And you see him from the first time since his death as you see Jason Todd. And you learn that within that story arc, it wasn't really Jason Todd. It was Clayface and it was Batman reacting from the fear gas of Scarecrow and all of these factors. And it really wasn't Jason Todd. But then a few years later, you find out that he was actually resurrected due to Superboy and Infinite Crisis. And they and DC pretty much pieced it together where Jason Todd was resurrected from the dead and it involved Talia and all of that and the Lazarus pit. And he came back, but he wasn't the same. He was even more twisted and a little bit more demented than he already was. And he came back as the persona of Red Hood, which is, of course, influenced from Joker's original costume when he was transformed into Joker. The Joker was transformed into Joker? or he, You mean Joker was transformed into Red Hood? When, Joke, when Joker fell into the vat of chemicals and he had the Red Hood costume on and then he emerges and he has the white skin and the green hair and all of that, he was in a Red Hood costume. I see. And so Jason Todd influenced I, his costume off of that. He, he adopted that. That's it. That is a little psychotic, right? You take, right. Bat, you take Batman's arch enemy <laughs> and you model your costume after that. And, Boy, you must be hating that. And Batman. the person that killed him, it's odd. You model the way you look after the person that who killed, killed you. Right. So it's it's a lot of psychosis going on there. Yeah. <laughs> and you also said that a lot of people, at least that you talk to, think of Jason Todd not as Robin, but as the Red Hood. Oh, yes. There are many people that just know and love Red Hood 
but they don't know much of his backstory as Robin. That's not everybody, especially since Death in the Family is a huge story arc, and that's definitely something or a book that I think everyone should read. But but the younger audiences and the newer crowd that come into comics, you see Jason Todd as Red Hood. There are a little bit of references saying that he was Robin within the New 52, but you really just see him as Red Hood, so you won't make that connection. Didn't Red Hood at some point become a good guy or kind of like a decent he, human being? He's an anti-hero, I think. I think he, he still fights along with Batman and at the time Nightwing and Red Robin and all of those Batman family characters, but still like in stories or the publication Red Hood and the Outlaws, he has a kind of dark streak to him. So it depends on what the situation is, I think. So he's gone from wanting to kill Batman, totally wipe him out, to I can kind of work with Batman, (laughs) but I am still a little badass. Right, exactly. And I think that's an appeal to a lot of readers. They like the fact that he's kind of a rogue, Within the Batman family. But yet could be called upon. Right. <laughs> and where is he currently? Is there is it still Red Hood in the Outlaws or has it, things changed since Convergence still, and all the um, other? It's still a little bit of Red Hood in the Outlaws. And he, it's, I'm sure they're going to bring him back into another series, especially since Convergence has the whole, opened up the whole DC multiverse and, DCU is really playing on the whole diversity of the character. So we might see him in another way. But really, you don't. I'm I'm always like the Red Hood and the Outlaws. I read that arc, and that's pretty good. Uh, Yeah, right now, he's still just Red Hood. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Who's our next Robin? Next Robin is Tim Drake. And he, I know, is a fan favorite for the actual character Robin. And I understand why. He is definitely the epitome of the detective Robin that a lot of people see matches perfectly with Batman's detective side. And a lot of people say that he earned the right to be Robin. And he was the first Robin to not necessarily have a tragic origin story. He debuted in Batman 436 in 1989. So if we look at it in real time, it's probably about eight or nine months since Jason Todd died. So within those eight or nine months, you see Batman really struggling. You see him going over the guilt of Jason Todd's death And you see him trying to cope with that. And then we're introduced to Tim Drake. And we see in a flashback that the night that Dick Grayson's parents, the acrobats, were killed and Bruce Wayne was there, so was Tim Drake. And through detective skills, he whittled down that Dick Grayson and Robin, who's all over Gotham City with Batman, are one and the same. Thus, he deduced that Bruce Wayne and Batman are one and the same. And so in that story arc, A Lonely Place of Dying, you see Tim Drake investigate and follow Batman and Robin around and get all the evidence to prove that they're those identities. And once that happens, Tim Drake kind of introduces himself to Batman and he tells him in a way that he sees that once he's been following him around, he sees that he's been really reckless with his crime fighting. Jason Todd's death has been really hard on him, and he hasn't been the same type of hero that he's always been, and he needs that balance. He needs someone by his side to help him become the hero that he was before, to keep him stable. And Tim Drake, he doesn't have the same backstory as Dick Grayson. His Both of his parents at this point in time are still alive, and he just wants to help Batman and wants to be his partner. And then we see him become Robin in Batman 457 from 1990. And he redoes the whole cost. He redoes the whole costume. He doesn't have the little tights and the little foot booties and all of that. He has a full 
like black and green and red outlined outfit and the R isn't the kind of soft R. It has a razor sharp edge and it's a little bit more of an edgy type of Robin, yet still keeping and giving an homage to the original Robin from 1940. And that costume was designed by Neil Adams and it stays for about 15, 16 years. It doesn't change until we're introduced to our next Robin. And I think a lot of people like Tim Drake as Robin because he is was kind of a mini Batman. He discovered who Batman and Robin were. No one else had ever really done that. That was Robin. Did before. they ever explore what Tim Drake's motivation was other than being a curious kid? Well, he was curious, but I think that when he witnessed Dick Grayson's parents die and then seeing Robin out solving crime, he saw a connection. He saw he saw the way that he performed as an acrobat with his parents to so the way that Robin would fight with his acrobat, acrobatic side in crime. And he linked the two together and then he wanted to investigate more. And that's how he discovered that Dick Grayson and Robin are the same. And he investigated a little bit more. And I think it was that natural detective within him that a lot of readers really enjoy because that's pretty much Batman. So he was Robin for throughout the 90s. He was a vital player in the Nightfall series. And what's more important is that Chuck Dixon gave him his own solo publication. He was the first Robin to have a publication called Robin. And that spawned into Robin 2 and into Robin 3. And he kept that persona throughout the 90s in Nightfall. And then he joined Young Justice briefly. And then he was an aide within the No Man's Land saga. And it's interesting that tragedy kind of struck him at a later time within the early 2000s. In different story arcs, his mother was killed and his father was killed. And his girlfriend at the time, Stephanie Brown, who we'll discuss next, was seemingly killed. And his some of his friends on the Young Justice scene, such as Superboy and Impulse, were killed. And tragedy just kind of hit him hard later after he was Robin and after he has set a name for himself, which is the total opposite for the other Robins that we've discussed but he is shown as a very strong character, a very independent character, and someone that Batman can definitely count on as a sidekick. Right. And what are some of the, uh, other than being a detective, did he have other skills to become the Robin? It was more, he Batman trained him to be acrobatic, just like the other Robins, and he had the, the martial arts and the fighting skills. And I think people just see him more for his his detective side. But so going into being Robin or going into solving the mystery of who Batman is, he did not have the martial arts and the acrobatic skills. That was something he got later from Batman. I think he developed that more after, but he. I'm sure with all the Robins, it seems that there is some type of initial acrobatic skill within them. I don't think it's really hard to think if anyone just kind of jumped in without any skill and was trained fully by Batman. I don't think the writers would have written it that way, but definitely he had some skill, but Batman trained him to have that. So when they're fighting, it's not just, he's not just on his own. He can hold his own. And that plays into his persona that he gained in, 2009 after Battle for the Cow and that's Red Robin when they were all wondering who was going to be the next Batman when he when Bat when Bruce Wayne died and they had to fight for it and Dick Grayson came out as Batman and Damian Wayne was Robin and he was Red Robin it was more to pay respect to the fact that Damian Wayne uh saved him within the arc after being injured 
but I like the character Red Robin. I I liked him. I liked Tim Drake as Robin, but I think he owns Red Robin really well. No one else had that costume or persona, and so I think he really made it his own. And he still had the same attributes that everyone liked him as Robin before. But it was kind of in an equal thing to his to Dick Grayson's Nightwing. He kind of grew up and had his own persona, and he was just another addition to the Batman family, just in a different costume. Now, during the time when Tim Drake was Robin, did he join any other crews or groups, or was he strictly Robin to Batman? He, for a period of time, joined the Young Justice group, which is kind of a different type of Teen Titan, young hero type group that was influenced off Justice League, and that was mostly within the late 90s, early 2000s. But once he became Red Robin, he had his own storyline, he had his own stories, and he, if he was with any other person, it would be with someone in, within the Batman family. Okay. <laughs> well, listen, London, I, you know, when we talk, I don't know about you, but I get so into these conversations and discussions <laughs> that I lose track of time oh, sometimes. No. <laughs> and we have been going and it's actually time for us to uh, pay the bills, give some shouts out to some sponsors. And I think we're going to have to continue this episode next week okay. with history <laughs> of Robin part, history of the Robin. <laughs> it's not the history of the Batman. <laughs> history of the Robin. We'll have to do a part two. Okay. That's fine with me. <laughs> All right. So we will pick up next week with Tim Drake and tie any loose ends up we have with him. I know I want to ask you maybe about some other stories that he was involved in, if you have something to oh, share. For sure. <laughs> and we can do that. In the meantime, let me thank, of course, Meltdown Comics and Collectible for you know allowing us to do the show here. It's an incredible store. Come on down. Check them out online. We also are proud to announce that if you order a Loot Crate, which is a cool subscription service. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> They've actually done some partnering with Meltdown and had some looter meetups, but LootCrate.com backslash Meltdown. And if you actually enter Meltdown in the code, you will get $3 off your loot crate. Awesome. <laughs> so check that out. And obviously, we always want to shout out comicsfix.com, the Netflix of comic book digital platforms. And go there, pay your monthly subscription, read as many comics as you possibly can. So comicsfix.com, lootcrate.com, meltcomics.com, a lot of dot coms. That's what you got to do to help support the show. And London, if anyone wants to talk to you, get in contact with you and, you know, ask some questions. How's the best way to do that? The best way is to contact me at historyofthebatman at gmail.com. You can always direct message me at instagram.com slash historyofthebatman. And if you want to follow any more Batman history, Follow twitter.com slash hist of the Batman, facebook.com slash history of the Batman, and history of the Batman.tumblr.com. But always contact me at history of the Batman at gmail.com. I am completely welcome to all comments, questions, anything you want to add about the show, just shoot me an email. <laughs> and you actually have planned some shows in the future based on some people uh, asking you questions or recommendations. I do. After we finish this Identity of Robin celebration of 75 years, our next show is going to talk about how to get into Batman comics. I have many people who have emailed me who have talked to me through Instagram and other sites saying, I want to start reading Batman comics and I don't know where to start. It's so overwhelming, which 
I completely agree with. It is very overwhelming. So I made a Batman 101 list where I talk about many essential Batman stories that are great ways to jump into the mythos if you have never picked up a comic before. So you're just breaking it down. Yeah. And that episode, I think, is for everybody. It's whether you have... You have no idea about Batman, you haven't read a comic or any of that to people who are long life fans of Batman. I think there's always something new to learn and you might hear of a story arc that you're like, hey, I haven't read that before or I haven't read in a long time. I should check it out again. So I'm looking forward to that episode. Very cool. And also you reached a milestone recently with your Instagram page, didn't you? Uh, I think so. <laughs> well, didn't you say, I thought you posted a picture on there saying you finally reached, uh, or you were very proud and very uh, appreciative of the fact that you reached 175,000 followers. Did. That is insane, especially since when I started, I had no idea the following that it would gain. So I'm always very appreciative and humbled and thankful for everyone that follows. And I'm... I think the page is almost at 180. It's growing so fast. And I'm just thankful for everyone that follows and listens to the podcast. You guys are all so awesome. So thank you. All right. (laughs) That'll do it. Thank you so much, London, for taking the time. This is the History of the Batman with London, brought to you by Meltdown Comics and Collectibles. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week for History of Robin, Part 2. Thank you.